Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will finish our study from Hosea chapter 13 about God's voice to Israel. This message is available for free download at friendshipwithgod.org. And what happened in verse 6? He said, according to their pastor, so were they filled. They were filled and their heart was exalted. You know, you know like sheep, you can tell where they've been feeding by how they look, right? And so he said, this, I brought you into really good pastures and you got fat. You didn't get skinny. Did you ever ask yourself, how come the Jewish people just happen to be at the right time at the right place? How does that work? He says, I brought you. I brought you there. Twice it says in verse 6, they were filled. It says, were they filled? That's what it says in verse 6. Were they filled? They were filled. It says, <clears throat> they were very filled. What happened? Their heart got exalted. They got lifted up. Look at what I have. Have you seen what I have? Look, let me show you, like Hezekiah. How did the Jewish people end up in the right pasture? Because God brought them there. What happened? They forgot him. Verse 6, they, therefore have they forgotten me. Show me a person on an easy street, I'll show you a person who doesn't need God. Hey, what about God? What about God? I don't need him. I don't want him. That's all right. Good for religious people. But God forewarned the Jewish people about this. Deuteronomy, if you want to write it down, Deuteronomy 8, verses 10 and 11. He says, When thou hast eaten and art full, then thou shalt bless the Lord thy God for the good land which he hath given thee. Beware that thou forget not the Lord thy God. That was the first time. Deuteronomy 31, 20. For when I shall have brought them into the land which I swear unto their fathers, a land that floweth with milk and honey, and they shall have eaten and filled themselves and waxed and fat, then they will turn unto other gods and serve them. That was the second warning. Second warning that he gave to them. And then he says that they would break his covenant. And then in Deuteronomy 32, 15, he says, But Jeshurun waxed fat and kicked, thou waxed fat, grown thick, thou art covered with factus. Then he forsook the Lord which made him the rock of his salvation. Third warning. Not once, not twice, three times God warned, him, God warned them. You remember Barry Minko? When, he was, when his saved mother came to him and Barry was sitting on top of the world, $300 million company, Ferrari, that said Z-Best on the license plate, and Barry was just, had it all, and his saved mother came into him and said, Barry, you need God. She pleaded with him, you need God, Barry. And Barry responded, God? How much does he cost? I'll buy him too. About, that happened about one or two months before he got the 25-year sentence and went to Terminal Island. Now, what did God do? And what does God do when a person forgets God and doesn't want to be joined to God anymore? When a person says, like Gomer, like Michael's father, I just don't want to be married to you anymore. Or when a Christian says, God was good when I was in Sunday school, but, but I don't want God anymore. What does he do? Verse 7 and 8. Therefore will I be unto them as a lion, as a leopard, by the way, will I observe them. I'll meet them as a bear is bereaved of her whelps. So I'll rend the call or the breast of their heart. And there will I devour them like a lion. The wild beast shall tear them. You notice five times in two verses, God says, I will, I will, I will. I will be unto them a lion. I will, like a leopard, I'll observe them. I'll meet them as a bear. I'll rend the call. I will devour them like a lion. He says, I will be as a leopard, will I... Observe them. As a leopard, by the way, will I observe? That's a bad thing. That's a very bad thing. You know, I learned how bad that was. Uh, three years ago, we went to Tanzania in the middle of the Serengeti Reserve. And when we were arriving at our lodge, we were going to spend the night, 
nice lodge. But um, our guide, Bashiri was his name, he told us that there were wild animals around this lodge. Actually, after I was already in the lodge there in the room, we heard some woman scream, and it was a Japanese woman. She came out, and a monkey had come into the, the, the window there and ripped the necklace off of her. She had the marks and everything. And so I thought, wow. So then I came in, and I thought, oh, I left my window open too. So then I got to my room, and there was a monkey in my room. We got to know each other a little bit. We looked each other eye to eye. And I said to him, I was here first. No, I didn't say that. I said to him, this is sad. This is very sad. What are we going to do about this? No, I didn't say that either. So we had a little bit of, of nonverbal communication. The monkey left. But, but Bashiri told us, he said, now look, he says, when it comes time for dinner, walk quietly among the way from your room to the dining hall. Don't run, don't make noise, because there are wild animals around here. And he told us what happened just a year before. He said that he had brought a family there from France to the lodge, and he told them the same thing he told us. Walk, walk slowly, don't make a lot of noise. But they had a 12-year-old boy, and he didn't listen. He was just so excited to be there that, that he ran from his room to the dining hall and making noise like he shouldn't have. And all of a sudden, a leopard jumped out who had been watching him and grabbed him on his throat and took off with him. And so Bashiri jumped in the land cruiser and with a honking horn and chased the boy down and, I mean, chased the leopard down and the leopard was afraid and dropped the boy, put him in the car and he bled to death in the car. So Hidden Leopard had been observing by the way. God says, I'm going to be that to you if you turn away. Just like in Zechariah 14, he told the Jewish people, I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle. What's the lesson here? You walk away from God, he will come after you. He has too much invested in you to let you walk. A man last week told me, why does God love me? And I told him, God loves you for one reason, because he made you, and he loves what he makes. That's the whole message of the Creation Museum. The whole message of the Creation Museum is, he made you. That's it. But at the same time as he's doing all these things, in verse 9, God is pleading with Israel and he's saying, Oh Israel, thou hast destroyed thyself, but in me is thine help. He's pleading with them to turn back, turn back. You destroyed yourself when you walked away from me, but turn back and you'll find help and even more. That's the Lord Jesus Christ who's speaking to them. Thank God that when it comes, if it does come, that God causes a man to lose the things that stand in between him and God. Thank God for that. You know, our couriers were going up in, uh, uh, going from Jewish door to Jewish door in Encino up in Los Angeles, and no one was home at Ruben's multi-million dollar house on Encino Lake Drive overlooking Encino Lake. So they just left the gospel package at his door. And some, so let me give you a little background on, on Reuben. When Reuben was Jewish and Reuben was born in Iran, and when he moved from Iran to Israel, he, had, he was very successful. He had a large hotel, he had retail stores in Jerusalem, and he said, You know, Israel is too small a country for me to make money in. I need a bigger country to make money in. I'll move to the States. So he moved to LA and he owned shopping centers and 100 acres for housing development and retail stores downtown LA. But then the economy turned down. And when the economy turned down for him, it went from bad to worse to worse. His properties were foreclosed on, 
And he was about to lose his home on Encino Lake Drive. It had already been foreclosed on. And the Chabad Synagogue wasn't going to help him out with that. So depressed, he comes home this night. And he sees our gospel package on the doorstep. And he, and he picks it up and then he went down the street both sides. Anybody else got one? No, just him. So he thinks, whoa, it's a sign. So he, uh, he opens it, watches the testimony DVD. And then he calls me and he said, I have to immediately come down to San Diego. I said, why? I have to talk to you. All right. So he came to the Creation Museum and he told me that he found the truth in that DVD. And I said, well, I said, well, I said, do you, I, I asked him, I said, do you know you're a sinner? And he says, no. He says, I'm a good man. I'm an honest man. I've given to the poor. I've given to charity. I told him, I said, well, then you're kind of like a, a man coming to the doctor and you sit down in front of the doctor and the doctor says, what's wrong with you? And, and all you do is talk about how healthy you are. He says, so the, the doctor says, what'd you come here for? And so I said, I said, you know, God and me, we can't help you. I said, because God's in the business of saving sinners. Then he said, okay, I'm a great sinner, he said. (laughs) And he was saved. He was saved. Why was he saved? Because God had removed the things that stood in between him and God. All the possessions, all the things. Jim Elliott put it this way. He's no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. I like to put it this way. He's no fool that gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot afford to lose. Sometimes it's not possessions. Maybe health that stands in the way of God. Maybe somebody may say, I'm so healthy, what do I need God for? I'm in such good shape. Somebody says to me, he says, why don't you get in shape? And I say, round is a shape. <laughs> he said, well, let me tell you about Robert. Eight days ago, eight days ago, our couriers were delivering gospel packages up in Tarzana in a very expensive hillside neighborhood. And our team came to Robert's door, and he wasn't home, so they left a gospel package at his door. Now, Robert is 47 years old. Let me just tell you about him. Robert is Jewish. Again, he was born in Iran. His father had a clothing store in Tehran. And Iran, when Robert was 13 years old, he was just sitting at the bench. That's the way they taught there, learning. And a boy who had just sharpened his pencil came up to Robert and just jabbed him in the arm with it. He, he showed me. The lead is still there. Why? Because he was Jewish. That's the only reason. Just because he was Jewish. And he went to the teacher and the teacher did nothing. Why? Because he was Jewish. Another time when at the same school bench a, boy, a student came up and he had a razor blade and he came up and he slashed his arm. He was bleeding, got stitches, all kinds of drama. And he went to the teacher. teacher did nothing. Why? Because he was Jewish. He was just tired of being hated by the Gentiles for just being Jewish. Because he didn't do anything wrong. And the Gentiles were against Robert. Well, Robert was 14 in 1979 when the U.S. hostages were taken and the U.S. embassy in Tehran and the Islamic revolution had started. And Robert was afraid. Well, the Lubavitch group in Brooklyn had arranged to take 150 children out of Iran to rescue them, to save them, and Robert was one of them. So Robert was afraid, so he said goodbye to his mother, his father, and his brother. He feared he'd never see them again. Nobody knew what was going to happen at that point. His father gave him $2,000, a lot of money at that time. And Robert was brought to Brooklyn. And then he was sent to what Robert told me was 
his miserable uncle. <laughs> he said, I, I was sent to my miserable uncle in Anaheim. He was never married. He lived alone. And Robert was so afraid, 14 years old, when he arrives in Anaheim, and he hoped that he'd be safe with his uncle. Well, as soon as Robert arrived, his uncle asked him, how much money do you have? How much money do they give you? And he said, $2,000. And his, his uncle immediately took $500 away from him on his arrival. And then every time they'd go to Ralph's to buy food, his, his, his uncle would say, I'll promise to pay you back. Pay for the food. So Robert, you took out a little card and started writing it down. It was $1,300. He had to pay for all the food. So Robert's uncle was against him. Later, his uncle lost his job, went into depression, still doesn't have a job. So Robert, what did he do? He walked to an Arab restaurant in Anaheim. He washed dishes for $2.15 an hour. And he made some money, and then he went to Cal State Fullerton, and he got a degree in business administration. And what does he do? Starts a business. A mortgage company. It did well. And so Robert sent money back to bring his mother over from Iran, then his brother, then his father. And he paid for their houses and their bro- his brother's car and his brother's wedding. And he gave him a job in the mortgage company. And he bought that expensive house. And, it was on, uh, and Robert was just sitting on top of the world. Just nothing could go wrong. He, went to, he goes to a motivational class. I don't know why he needed motivation, but he went to a motivational class, and he met his Iranian wife there, his Jewish Iranian wife, and so this thing's just, 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 wow, he has so much. What's he need God for? Then came the car accident. And with the car accident came an unknown pain in his knees. And from the unknown pain in his knees came the MRI of his body. And from the MRI in his body, plaques in his brain. Robert has multiple sclerosis. And it progressed, and it got worse and worse with the loss of balance. And he couldn't stand anymore. And he went to a wheelchair. And at at this point, he had to give up his work and his mortgage business. And his brother comes and complains, that's fine for you, but I just lost my job. And so he says, okay, I'll start a glass repair business and you can be in the business. And he did. And then came the windy day outside of Starbucks when Robert began to lose his balance. He didn't fall, but as he gained his composure, he started to get a nosebleed. And it bled and it bled and they took him to the hospital. And then came the diagnosis, Robert has leukemia. And so now chemotherapy. And he's in the hospital. He's in the hospital. And his brother comes to him and says, I am going to abscond with the, light, with the glass business. I'm taking it. You can't do anything. And Robert pleads with his brother to not abandon him like a wounded soldier on the field. Don't do that. But his brother was against Robert, and he did. And so what happened? He's sitting there, and one of Robert's relatives had told a Gentile Christian woman named Grace about Robert in the hospital. A Gentile woman, Christian. And Grace fasted for Robert. And she, with another of her girlfriends, came to Robert with a fragrant oil that that had come from Nazareth in Israel. And she said that she just wanted to anoint him with oil and pray for him. And she did. And he was just amazed at the love of these two Christians who he never saw again. In fact, he calls them angels. Think about that. Think about that. By the way, What act of kindness could you do? It may seem like nothing to you, but it means a lot. It could mean a lot.
to another person. So it's Robert, he lost his money and his wife had to take a, a job in a department store in retail sales and now he's confined to a wheelchair, he can no longer work and he begins to see his friends disappear from him. Why? He doesn't have money anymore. And he meets a Catholic therapist and she shows him kindness. Then another Catholic lady shows him kindness. And all of this one, it made him wonder, what does it mean to be a Christian? And what's the difference from being Jewish? And so a few months ago, his first dream came. And in this dream, he's looking in the mirror, and he sees himself with a gold cross over his chest. And he sees himself wondering, when did I become a Christian? He said, <laughs> and he wakes up, and he tells his wife, and she, he says, I just had this dream. And his wife says, maybe this means something. We'll have to see what happens. So then about a month ago came the second dream. And in the second dream, Robert sees Christians coming and bringing him gifts, celebrating that he's become a Christian. So he's wondering about this. Then eight days ago, our, uh, on Saturday, our team came to his door, he wasn't home, and left the gospel package. He looks, like Ruben, he looks down the street, in other ways, no other person out there. He watched the video, and he calls me on Monday. He says, I have questions about Judaism and Christianity. I'll answer this question. He said, he said oh, uh, it's, it's a, and, and, and just in case I have more questions, can you give me your, your, your personal number? He gave him my personal number. He said, and then on Wednesday, praying for him. So on Wednesday, I call him up, and I say, I'm coming up to Los Angeles to see you. He said, oh, yes, that's good. That's good. But he, then he gets nervous. He's not comfortable. So he calls on Thursday night. He says, you can't come. I'm going to be busy. And I said, okay, well, maybe some other time. He goes, well, by the way, what time were you going to come? I said, I don't know, 11. He goes, okay, you can come. That time's okay. He says, all right. So we're traveling. So, so then in the morning, the very morning, Friday morning, he calls me before I left. He says, um, uh, uh, I don't want you to come to my house. I'll meet you at the coffee bean. All right, meet you at the coffee bean. And while we're traveling up there, he's nervous. He calls me and he says, no, no, come to my house. What was all that about? Well, later... We learned that his wife had told him it was very dangerous for him what he was doing. He was all alone in the house, very expensive house, in a wheelchair. And he didn't know us. And he should let people he doesn't know into his house in a wheelchair, in a very expensive house. But he told his wife these words, I have to know the truth at any cost. And when I arrived there, I thought it was so strange that when I went down to greet him, pulled me to him and kissed me. I thought, that's a little strange. But I, but I could tell, now I know what he was saying. He was saying, please, don't be like those others that hurt me. Don't be like them. Don't be like the Gentiles in Iran. Don't be like my brother. Don't be like my uncle. Don't be that way. And so we, we sat together, and he wanted to know what it meant to become a Christian. And so we went through Isaiah 53, and then Isaiah 53, after that, showed him it was now his, his turn to come to the Lord, and he prayed the sinner's prayer. Praise God. So what does all this mean? This is why God brings the troubles in life. Because, because Israel, the Jewish people, individuals, Gentiles, have walked away from God. And so the troubles are brought by God. I will be the leopard to observe in the way. By God, with one design, to bring to himself, to save, to reconcile, to change. And that's our message for today. 
Because what happens when Israel is so, so idolatrous and God says he's angry? He's angry. Did you see that? He says, I gave him a, a king in verse 11 in my anger and I took him away in my wrath. And he says, there's iniquity in verse 12 and, 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 it's, and the sin is not hid. And he's going, and you know what God does when he gets angry? He becomes extremely gracious. Extremely gracious. See verse 14. What are they going to do? Am I going to get home? He says, no, I will do something wonderful. I will ransom them from the power of the grave. I will redeem them from death. Oh, death, look at me, death. This is what he's saying. Look at me, death. Meet your plagues. Meet your destruction. I'll do it. And then he says at the end of verse 14, he says, and as far as me changing my mind, repentance shall be hid from mine eyes. No way I'm going to change on this. What does that remind us of? Where sin abounds, God gets really angry and judges more. No, no, no. Where sin abounds, God's response is much more grace abounds. Have you been irritated and angry yourself? Have you irritated and angry? Go get somebody saved. That'll show them. (laughs) That's God's way. That's God's way. Where sin gets under your skin, sin was getting under God's skin. Where sin begins to irritate you, Go do something really good. So it's in the context of all this that God says, the power of the grave, he says to Israel, you are, and we are too, you are helpless. I've, I ever tell you the story. Michael Johnson, when his uh, sister Faye died, many of you were at the funeral. And when Michael got up to preach, he said, you know, many, many emotions went through my mind when I walked into that room and my sister, the corpse, was lying there. He said, but one that I wasn't quite prepared for was anger. I was mad. Michael said, I was angry. Why? Because death took my sister. And we did all that we could to keep Faye from dying. Wrap our arms around her and say, no, you won't have her, you won't have her, you won't have her. And death laughed. Why? Power of the grave. Power of the grave. You're no match for death. The grave is saying, you're no match for the grave. And God knows that. So God says, I'll take you on. I will take you on, grave. I will take you on, death. I will, not an angel, I will personally. In this corner, death, the grave. In this corner, the Lord Jesus Christ. And they come out and battle together. And with one word, it's finished. His hands held up. He won. And that's what he did. That's what he did in the context of all of Israel's sin. Too much sin on this side. I'm going to make great grace on this side. That's God. That should be us too. That should be us too. When we get irritated, go get somebody saved. Bring them to the Lord. Disciple them. Make him a child of God. Tom, today you mentioned a verse that sounds just like what Paul said in the New Testament, which was, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? That's right. That's Hosea chapter 13, verse 14. A wonderful verse. I will ransom them from the power of the grave. I will redeem them from death. O death, I will be thy plagues. O grave, I will be thy destruction. Repentance shall be hid from mine eyes. What's so marvelous about that verse is that it's so personal. The Lord Jesus Christ says, I myself am going to rescue. I will be the rescuer. I will be the savior. It's like the ship is going down and the captain 
captain of the ship says, I'm going back on the ship. I'm going to go and ransom those who are still on the ship. This is the Lord Jesus Christ saying, I see the power of the grave. I see the helplessness of the people, and I am going to save them from the power of the grave and from redeem them from death. And how's he going to do it? He's going to do it by becoming the plagues of death and the destruction of grave. In essence, he looked at death. He looked at the grave, and he says, you ain't seen nothing yet. You ain't seen an opponent like me. And he and he bears his arms, and he goes in, and he fights the fight to the death, where as he dies and cries out, it's finished, he could have also cried out, rescued. And that would have referred to us, because he, in the process of this redemption, in the process of this ransoming, in the process of his going to the cross for us, he saved us. And that was his purpose. He saved us from the power of the grave and from the power of the death to which we were absolutely helpless. But thank God, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, came and saved us as only he can. can. Forever we're indebted to him. Thank you for joining us today. Next week, Tom Cantor will continue our study from the Bible as our foundation for our friendship with God. Now, do you have a Jewish friend or know of a Jewish person that needs to be reached with the gospel? Would you like to give them a gospel gift or have one sent to them? You can contact us directly by phone, and we can help you to do that. Call us at 1-800-247-3051. Once again, that's 1-800-247-3051. And we can help you to fulfill God's command to go to his lost nation of people first. Now, many of us know Jewish people that we work with, or that are lawyers or doctors or businessmen or friends or neighbors. Maybe you have a Jewish family member that you want to reach. We can help you. Call us at 1-800-247-3051. Join us again next week at the same time.